Hello and welcome to the Mal and Johnny Show. This week we thought we'd talk about red letter days, those days that maybe changed our lives forever. Maybe we didn't realise at the time, uh, but looking back, they were pivotal moments in our lives and our careers. Uh, Johnny Tudor, because you've had many red letter days, uh, haven't you, over the years? I'm just trying to think for you, you know, when you found out you were going to be on Opportunity Knocks, do you remember yeah. the day, do you remember how it happened and all of those type of things when you get the letter or the invitation? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, um, my, my father was a big influence on me, obviously, because he'd been a performer and he had a lot of connections. He got me the audition, right? Right, right. Because he knew a fellow called Eddie Espinosa, who was a ballet ma- master, mm. who'd been in a show with him. And he was a friend of um, uh, uh, Doris Barry. She was the associate producer. Mm-hmm. And her sister was Alicia Markover, so that was the connection. The, the ballet, the ballet dancer, right, right, right. Anyway, so she got he got me the audition, so I did the audition for Doris, right. and that's why I first got on it, right. And then she said, "Well, uh, first of all, she said no. Um, I, I love you," she said, "but I, Hughie has to see you, right? So can you get to Liverpool because oh. we're doing some auditions in Liverpool?" So that's how I, I I went and did it again then for Hughie Green. So that's how I got it. So I, I was just told I got it. I didn't have a letter. Yeah. I was just told you're on next, whatever it was, you know. Well, uh, but a, a lot of things have happened like that. I mean, I suppose my father was the biggest influence on me. Um, I remember coming home from work when I was working in his shop. Yeah, I was about 17, 18. And he said, I got an audition for you. I said, what do you mean? I, can't, I haven't got an act. So he said, well, we'll soon get what he said. So he got the old piano because he was a good pianist. And he worked on a three or four minute spot. Right. With a bit of tap dancing, a bit of singing, a couple of little impressions. And I went to Swansea on a bus. And the audition was in some church hall up in, I think, just as you're coming into Swansea on the right. You know, there's, if you come up the Jersey Marine, what's the name of that? St. Thomas. St. Thomas. Somewhere like that. St. Thomas. Jersey Marine. Um, St. Thomas. I don't know. Uh, no, it was, it's Swansea itself. Oh. As you're coming in. Oh, I wonder. Okay. Anyway, yeah. if I, I'll remember it. And so I did this audition there and I got on a program called Looking for the Stars. Now, this was in 1962, what? 61. What? I saw, anyway, off I go on the bus because I didn't have a car. And uh, I got on this thing and I had to go to Bristol then for the, to TWW, as it was, to do this program. So that was my first real in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, how did it go after that? The next thing was, so... Uh, hang on, what happened after that? I just started doing the clubs, I think. Yeah. And then I did, I, I did nothing much happened until I did, um, I did an audition for the summer season. Okay. For Butlins. Right. And that was up in, I did the summer season in, in Butlins in Skegness. Yeah. And it was me and a fellow called Reg Dixon, who was quite a big comic in his day. Right. And a group called the Three Squires. Bill Squire is still alive. They were much older than me. So I'm going to see Bill now next week. He's 87. I'm going to go and see him. He lives near Hastings. Um, and then uh, there was a fellow called Del Derek who played the vibraphones and his wife. Anna. And there was, um, what else was there? And me. That was it. And the Six Girl Dancers. That was the show. Wow. Uh, so that was my first professional gig. So that's 60 years ago. I beat you by 10 years, but... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, you know what? Did, I mean, did they tell you straight away at the audition, Mister Mister Tudor, you've got the job, or did they write to you afterwards? Or what happened was with Opnox, I was I just done my bit, yeah, and I was in the wings. I got in the wings, and the secretary came rushing in. I went, Johnny, don't go anywhere. We want to see you after. 
he was impressed, you see, because he loved loved the song and dance man bit, you see. Yeah. And what did you feel? Whatever you say about him, he was a real old pro. Yeah. You know. How did you feel? Oh, well, I elated, really. I was, uh, you know, it was fantastic. Yeah. The same thing happened to me when I did something else. Oh, I did an audition at the Talk of the Town. Right. For a bloke called Robert Nesbitt. Now, Robert Nesbitt used to produce all the, the variety show, the, the Royal Variety show. He's real tough as Robert, frankly posh. Mm-hmm. So I did this audition at the Talk of the Town. Same thing. The secretary came rushing through, stay, we want, stay behind, want to see you later. So I just told me I had the job. Wow. I mean... I was so lucky. Whenever I took my man, he was like my talisman. I never failed an audition because I don't know what happened, but he was always there for me, played for me, see? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, as you say, I've been thinking a lot about it this week because it's 10 years uh, on, on Monday. It was 10 years, no, goodness me, 50 years. 50, 50 years? Last July. And obviously it was a big date, so I... I I, I've got my dad's diary here, right? This is my dad's diary from 1973. All right, yeah, man. And... Um, I was trying to look back on that year, because 73 is an important year. You know, I sent a tape to this guy called John Peel on Radio 1. I didn't know much about him because his show was past my bedtime, but um, I got a letter back in May. So I looked at the date in May that this letter came back in, or the days around it, and there's nothing in my dad's diary. It's all about gardening. It's all about, you know, taking taking the church services and stuff. So I thought, all oh, right, well, let's have a look at July. So on the 10th of July, I did go to, I went to London uh, to record the session, and... Um, Starts off, because my, my dad kept a diary every night. Rather cloudy day, some very slight drizzle at times. Rose at 6.15, took the boys to catch the train to London. Gareth looked after the bag. David carried the guitar case. Maldwin walked behind to see he didn't bang it on anything. And then a quiet day in school, so a little bit of me coming back in the night. You know, so that was a moment. I went to London, met all these yeah. famous people. And so, right, a week later, the show went out, 17th. Um... <laughs> See, there's, there's a big, there's a big, sort of, there's a big starry bit there, right? Let me see if I can get the camera. It's a big starry bit, a star, a star there, and a star yeah, yeah. there on the seventeenth of July, the day that really did change my life. And it's got first tomato of the season eaten. That was the start event. <laughs> How's that? How's that for you know? He does actually mention my brother had rung him to say I, I was in the Daily Mirror. My picture is in the video. So I bought seven copies in Kumbulla. Also called on the dentist. Uh, staff pleased about Maldwin. So it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> this was a day that changed my life. And my dad's big, big mark was first tomato of the about season. Tomatoes. I mean, you know. And you know, isn't it funny how everything touches everybody's life? If you think of what, like, it's like a, a transgression and stuff. Yeah. It's after I did um, uh, this summer season, I got a, I got an agent then. I, got, I was with London management. Right. Um, and anyway, they, they gave me, put me in a show called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Yes. Uh, that was with uh, Charles Hawtrey and, and, and uh, Kenneth Connor and you know, Greg Castro. And, um, but there was a bloke there, it was the ASM, you know, for those who don't know, assistant stage manager called John Peacock, okay? And he's a nice bloke. He's about a bit younger than me, about my age. And we palled up, right? And um, he was quite right, good at writing stuff. And he, he wrote some lyrics, mm-hmm. see? So he said, I said, well, what are you going to do with these? I don't know. He said, like, I said, I'll tell you what. He said, let me put some music to it. So me and the old man got on the piano, right? And we, we wrote four songs, right? right? And I recorded them in a little studio in Cardiff. A fellow called George Charland. He was the, the, the stills photographer for ITV, but he had a little recording studio, you know, like a, like a, a four track or something. Right. So I recorded the old man on piano. I recorded these four songs and forgot about them completely. 
And about a year later, I get a phone call from my old dancing teacher. And she says, John, there's a, a, a TV producer wants to meet you. I said, who's that? She said, Ruth Price. Now, Ruth Price used to be head of light entertainment in BBC Wales. Okay. So I, I go down to the studio where she was. I'm talking to her. And she'd gone looking for people, singers. And she'd gone into this studio and heard these tracks. Okay. So she said, can you sing in Welsh? I said, well, I used to sing in Welsh in school. I don't know what I'm singing about, I said, because I hadn't learned then. She said, well, that's no problem, as long as you can pronounce it. She said, we like your songs. I'll translate them, she said, and I got on a thing called Disco Down. Wow. Now, Disco Down was a live pop show, right, every Saturday, live. So I'm, I get 26 of these, right? So I'm on every week learning these Welsh songs like a parrot walking about the beach going, oh, um, to go on with it. Don't I, don't mean, I didn't know what I was singing. I tell you what, what an education that was. Yeah. So that was like fortuitous. I met somebody in, in the show that had written these lyrics that I put, you know, it, it's all knock on, it isn't is, it? It is, and these little moments. So is... you're talking about up knocks. So by the time I got, so from, from Disco Down, then I did a thing called Bayonessa, which was with Ryan Davis before he went Ryan and Ronnie, and um, Ruth Maddock. Mm-hmm. She called herself Ruth Llewellyn. Eh? And so I'd had a lot of TV experience. So when I did Opportunity Knocks, I was like an old pro. I knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting because I was I, I did a couple of interviews this week about the 50th anniversary and they said, well, were you nervous going to the studio to record, you know, these songs? But the thing is, I, I, I was a seasoned professional by the time I was 12 or 13 because I used to sing every, you know, every Friday and Saturday in, in youth club. I used yeah. to, uh, you know, do the school assembly, do the Eisteddfod, words, get your guitar out, man, let's, you know, do a song. So I was actually pretty used to, you know, standing up or sitting on the chair in front of a lot of people and singing the song. You have to do that. It's amazing how quickly your life changes, though, isn't it? You know, oh, you, yeah. you go on opportunity knocks, and then suddenly lots of doors open. I've, I've seen a couple of um, documentaries lately, but one about Elton, one about um, Wham. You know, one minute they're living with their mums and and dads in North London, next minute yeah. they're they're touring the world. You know, they're they're doing playing stadiums. And what another thing that sort of struck me about my dad's diary. So my dad, I mean, obviously my dad loved me loads and did actually. You know, it, it was they were very proud. I mean, actually, it, the funny thing is about this July the seventeenth. Um, parents of Maldwin's friends excited too. Basically, my mum and dad didn't want it in the paper in case anybody found out. But they found out in school. And, and somebody's, I think it was Anne Roberts's dad, contacted the Evening Post. But, you know, so that's July. So we go to, go to October, October the 30th, right? So my dad was my chaperone. Um, a rush to the studio in Notting Hill. Another exciting time. Um... Uh, a rush to Rocket Records at 5pm, a gay time with Elton John and the others, Paddington in a phantom... <laughs> that's, a, that's a good phrase. <laughs> exactly. Paddington. A gay time with Elton John. <laughs> Paddington in phantom five Rolls Royce, a pleasant journey home. So my dad's life went from being a, a headmaster, Sunday school superintendent, who was, who was more concerned with, the, with preaching and doing the gardening in, uh, in yeah, July, yeah. and by October he's in the back of Elton John's phantom five Rolls Royce. Things change very quickly. Don't they? The, the, it's unbelievable, they isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first, my father, when he gave up show business, he had a pub. Well, he had three pubs, but the last pub was in Cardiff. See, so my old dancing, my mother's old dancing teacher called Kitty Slocum came to the pub one night, yeah. and I just seen. I think it was, uh, who was it? Uh, you seen somebody tap dancing? Either Dickie Henderson or somebody on TV. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to do that. I said. So she said, well, come down to the studio, I'll teach you. And so that was another fortuitous thing. If she hadn't come to the pub, I wouldn't have gone down and to tap dance. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Everything goes like... But Emily Squires was telling me the other day, um, 
she met this bloke that was in a group. I won't say it is because they're still around. And she was going out with him for a while. Uh, but it didn't work out because I think there was he was either married or whatever. And um, But she wouldn't have met him if my father hadn't met Dorothy Squires when she was 15. Mm-hmm. Dorothy Squires hadn't befriended me because of my father, hadn't got me recording with her in Casler Records, where this group used to record, so Emily met. So with, it's like everything joins on. Absolutely. It's the butterfly effect, isn't it? It is. The, and the little, little things. And interesting, you know, like Wham!, you know, they were obviously they were massive, they, and then George Mike was even bigger than than Wham. You know, but they were saying they were nearly dropped by their record company, and they somebody pulled out the top of the pops. So last minute, they were asking you to do top of the pops tomorrow, and they did it, and it it changed their lives. I mean, Elton Elton was talked about being dropped from um, wow. making records um, because it was a bit of interest, but not much. And somebody sent his record to America and he went over there and an overnight sensation, you know, and, and if it hadn't worked out, then it had been back to being a session player. It's well, it, look, these little Tom Jones when You know, Tom Jones got his first big break because Gordon Mills came home because he's from Ponte, or he's from the, the Ronda or Ponte or something. Mm. And he'd come home and he'd seen Tom in a club. Okay. So he took him up to London and he and he wrote Not Unusual. So the rest is, uh, you know, history. But before then, they, they were recording, trying demos, this, that and the other. And then PJ Proby, do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, his trousers always used to split. PJ Proby split his pants on stage. There was a big furore about it. Yeah, yeah. And Tom took his place. So that was like Tom's big break, if you like. He yeah. had the ponytail in those days and all the bit. Wow, wow. Isn't it funny how things happen? It is funny. And Bonnie Tyler. You know, Bonnie was singing in The Townsman, I think it was. And Roger Roger Bell, who was working for a guy called Ronnie Scott, not the jazz player, but the the songwriter, was coming down to see another lad called Vic. And he was just wandering through the club and he heard this great singer. And he went back and told Ronnie Scott, I didn't, you know, but you should have a listen to this girl from Swansea. Well, from Skewing, you know, and it took a little while. But that just chance encounter of just somebody hearing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of luck. But you've got it. The thing is, show business is so much talent, but a lot of luck's attached. You could be the best. Gordon Mills once told me, he said, if you're a boxer Mm. and you knock out the champion of the world, you're champion of the world. Yeah. If you're the best singer in the world and nobody sees you, you're never going to get anywhere. No, it's and it's true, is it? Yeah. But the thing is, you can't just. I was talking to a lad the other day, and he's got these lovely songs, great tracks, and he's well, he's not sure not to do with them. I said, well, put them out because the thing is, if if nobody hears them, somebody might hear them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it might just sort of open the door. You can be sure if you keep them in a drawer. Nobody's going to hear them, Johnny. Johnny exactly, exactly. Oh, the days have changed our lives. And uh, I, I suppose the day that changed my life I was looking on Twitter and seeing a letter from um, Ernest Borgnine's wife to a chap called Johnny Tudor saying oh. <laughs> how much she'd enjoyed him on a cruise. And I thought, that's the guy I need to get on my late night radio program to tell some showbiz stories. And here we are. I don't know. 20 Two years, years later. 20 years it. later. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Ernest Borgner. He's a lovely bloke. He was. Yeah. I was thinking about him the other day when when he we we docked in uh, Saint Tropez, oh. and uh, I'm just walking along the front there. I'm looking at all the artists painted, and Ernest Borgner and his wife Tova are sitting in a, in a cafe in the front. Mm. John, come on over. See, have a coffee and the ice cream. So I said, okay. So I'm having ice cream with him, and this woman comes up and asks, asks for Ernest Borgner's autograph because yeah. she's a big film star and he, yeah. and he says to her you better have this guy he's great I said but most in Paris she knew the bloody hell it was <laughs> <laughs> but no he was a lovely bloke was Ernest but you do meet people in this business it's amazing but I tell you another thing with me mm-hmm. when I went into when you're a kid when you're 15 16 17 I don't know if it happened to you I used to get 
not depressed it's the wrong word but your hormones are everywhere and you've got no you've got no kind of uh, purpose mm -hmm. and I, I was a bit like depressed I don't know what it was as soon as I went into show business it was a, a, a goal for me you know mm -hmm. and I don't know about you I, I wasn't looking I want to be a big star I just liked the aura of it yeah the, the theatre the smell of the, the dust on the curtains the sound of the tinny band t tuning up everything was like magic to me see yeah yeah and it still and is it was, it was t and a bloke walked into the pub called Ron Perriam I'll never forget this and Ron was at the windmill the same time as Bruce Forsyth, okay? And he was a very good dancer, was Ron. He'd, he'd retired from the business. So he says to my father, he said, your boy's a good dancer. He said, well, how do you know? He said, I can tell by the way he walks. I don't know what that meant. So he said, he taught me some routines. And then we went away together and did a gig in Manchester. My father on piano and us two, me and Ron. And his club was horrendous. It was called the, the Southern Sporting Club Manchester. It was a huge club, like hundreds, hundreds of people. And the first night, there's a boxing ring in front of the stage. So we're going to do my act. There's a boxing ring. I can't dance in there. So we had to do it behind this boxing ring. But, you know, it's weird, the things that happen to you. It's, it's, ah. But I, I, had, I had a purpose. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. When you've got a purpose in life, I think everybody needs one. Yes. I mean, it's like now... Well, like you know, with your records, you still want to put them out there. Yeah. You know, I like still writing stuff. I like, you know, doing a bit of TV when I get it yeah. or a bit of radio, whatever. You don't stop, do you? It keeps you going. It keeps you going. We're not going to retire. We're ne we'll never, nah, never retire. retire. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, have a, have a great week. And, um, and you. Should we do it again next week? Yeah, why not? Why not? I'm looking forward to coming and doing a show with you down in Swansea. October the 3rd. Tickets are on sale now. Hey, we're doing well. Nearly, nearly half sold. So it's, it's Hey, well, fantastic. Yeah, is, yeah. is Splinter still the, the sound man? He's retired. He's retired. Oh. Bringing Adrian they Bamford. they still got a good one then. Bringing the, top, good. bringing the top guy in. Adrian Bamford from Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How long do you want me to do? Hour and a half? 20 minutes <laughs> before. 20 minutes after. I don't know. I don't know. Try and stop we'll it. it. How on earth are we going to well, stop Johnny Tudor once he gets on that stage? Well, uh, That's what I'm worried about. Look, I'm an old pro. You tell me it's 10 minutes. I'll do it on the dot. <laughs> I'll time it. I always say I'm rubbish at talking, but I can go up to the pips, no problem. All right, well, That's hey, lovely to speak to you. So it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from him. Ta-da, Ta-da. <laughs>